Oh hey, didn't see you there. Welcome to Secondary Fermentation, presented by East Carolina Beer and Brewing. We're here for episode number 52. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 52. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel more like 52 than 22. Yeah, that's for that's sure. Dang sure. Uh, as always, this is Joe, and I'm joined by... Nick. And Lauren. And Lauren. And also Lauren. And baby Davis. And the baby. baby. What's he, He's not going to introduce himself? <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, like we said, episode number 52. And thanks for really listening to episode 51. That's probably one of our, uh, I guess, best performing episodes that we've had so far in the short time it's been out. It really climbed the ranks really quickly. So... Yeah, on talking par about with the industry was a big, big hit apparently. Yeah, on par with some of our interview uh, episodes when we interviewed Ben Self and Paul Philippon, to name a couple, and the only ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just name a couple of yeah, the yeah. multitude of inter- interviews so we've conducted. Many interviews, just so many interviews. Uh, yeah, but we're back, uh, and we're uh, we're a little bit thirsty, so we've got a beer on deck right now. I was thinking about saving this one for a bottle share but i decided not let's just you know have it and just live in the moment uh, i've got a beer from epic brewing uh and this is called brainless on peaches it's a belgian style ale that is brewed with peach and aged in oak barrels it's part of their exponential series let me see if we can see when this was it's release number 109 i don't know when hmm. that correlates to uh where did we pick this one up elsie you know we brought it back we got that on a trip colorado no this isn't we got this one recently what no i swear we just got this recently i don't think we brought this back we brought a bottle back yeah but we drank that already that was like years ago <laughs> years years ago it was like two or two years ago well hmm. anyway epic brewing from salt lake um we tried to go there when we were in Salt Lake, but it was during COVID and they were closed and all they had was their bottle shop. Oh, open. did you get it from Tapped? Yes, Tapped. I think we I got just, it. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago, right? Or was Or no, I think it, no. Driver Street Bottle Shop, I think this one was from. Maybe. Well, anyway, uh, we got this beer. Who knows where or when <laughs> I purchased it. Uh, but Showed up by the the uh, the beer fairies they put it in the fridge. Yeah, let's give it a uh, bust open here. Kind of funny to see a double-digit ABV beer from Utah, but I guess when you buy it by the bottle and it's not served on premise, then you're you're good. But yeah, if you're not familiar, Utah has very well, it's strict only single digits. Oh, I thought point, I saw eleven percent on eight point three percent ABV. Hmm. Untapped needs to update the old stats. My apologies. Yeah, I guess the other brainless beers are all kind of in the range of like 7 to 9%, but the American. brainless on Peaches said 11%. Glass, sir? Of course. Pours a nice light color. Our friend Tom Schultz had this uh, years ago, 2016, I think he checked it in, maybe 2018. Uh, I'm not going to share what he wrote. Cause I want to <laughs> see if maybe you have similar thoughts. I'm already kind of, my, my mind's already in that direction, so I'm primed to, to pick up on some of those notes maybe. So this is a nice effervescence to it. It's a kind of a orangey gold color. Relatively clear. A little bit of haze in there. Very effervescent, though. I tell you, bubbles are just ripping off this thing. Oh, yeah. It does smell a bit peachy. A little, like, ester uh, spiciness coming through. Hmm. Very Belgian-y. I mean, I guess for a Belgian style, it'll make sense. But a lot of, like, phenolic compounds... Uh, and then like a nice hint of peach kind of reminds me of like spiced peaches or something like that, or not peach cobbler, right? but like maybe peaches with a hit of nutmeg and cinnamon on them. Yeah. And it finishes very dry. Does. Um, which, (laughs) so Tom noted that it smells like Chardonnay, tastes like peach, Chardonnay and beer, or tastes like peaches, Chardonnay and beer. Quite an amazing twist. <laughs> I get that kind of like dry white wine element to it in, in the finish alone. I don't think it smells like a Chardonnay to me. Mm-mm. Like I said, I think oh, it yeah. smells 
It does. It smells like a buttery Chardonnay. I don't really know about Chardonnay anyway, but... <laughs> a buttery one. Well, buttery one. Buttery. <laughs> good smell. Just made out of butter. Wow, I'm really getting the smell there, Lauren. Hmm. Yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, peach is a pretty interesting flavor for beer. This one, I, I think, is a bit softer, a little more subtle. You definitely pick it up more in the nose than I'm getting... Like, I'm getting it more in the nose than I am in, in flavor depth, but... Yeah, I get a little on the backside, and I think probably the aging really mellowed out some of that that peach, you know, uh, peach smell. Oh, and this is aged in French oak barrels, not just any oak barrels. <laughs> yeah, so that's where you get that, uh, that kind of wine component. It doesn't say much more. It doesn't say how long it was aged. I don't know. Maybe Epic's website has a little more info yeah. on that but uh pretty good though i mean wouldn't say it's like knocking my socks off or anything like that no it's a pretty pretty nice slightly sweet dry finished belgian alex said some of that phenolic uh profile is is showing up but um overall really approachable despite being oh for sure kind of higher gravity but yeah 8.3 percent it's not overly bitter not overly tart it's more of just kind of like a warm, inviting, slightly fruity beer. Mm. Uh, very The effervescence kind of makes it a little more approachable, too. I think it's it mm-hmm. lightens it up a touch. I think but, it'd be great for pairing with food because uh, yeah, the effervescence can kind of help lift some of the flavors and kind of, as a, a drink in between bites, you know, it kind of helps to lift and yeah. remove some of those flavors from the from the dish. But yeah. good find for sure. It'd be nice to sip on this throughout the episode. Yeah, overall great beer. Um and, you know, what do we got coming up here? Dickinson Ave After Dark local festival coming up in another yeah. week or so. March 24th. Yeah. It's a Friday. Uh, there'll be some local vendors, breweries, food trucks. Everything is east of the I-95. So it looks like yeah. a lot of local places in Greenville, Winterville area. They just announced the, the lineup on, I thought it was on Instagram. Yeah, I think... Uh, Greenville NC posted it. Oh, did they do a story? Oh, yeah, that's the problem. Their Instagram doesn't have the info. So they have, actually, they do. They post them all as separate stories. So they've got Mother Earth, Casita, Brutopia. Oh, they got a little Fire Stew back. Fire Stew's going to be there. Fire Stew. And Naughty Dog, Pitt Street. I don't know. R&R Brewing. Um, Sounds familiar. I can't remember where that's at. Is that in Mount, that's in Mount Olive, isn't it? Is it okay? I think so. Um, Shortway, which is from Newport, we've seen them a lot. They've been really busy with distributing locally. They're in the grocery stores. Seven um, Sounds. Yeah, I like Seven Sounds too. Um, I prefer Eight. <laughs> seven oh, sounds. sorry. Seven Sounds is from the old one. Their oh, their from, Instagram stuff yeah. is really confusing me here. Um, but anyway, bunch of breweries. Uh, I saw the two two rivers. I think. Mm-hmm. That's the one, the newer yeah. one in in Washington. Uh, so yeah, so a lot of local, mainly Jar local Street bottle shop will be there. Oh, Jar Street serving some wine and <laughs> other beverages. So and Two Rivers is now actually brewing, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their setup is uh, allowing them to produce, and so it'd be good to try a few different places. Uh, yeah, and get some good food from local food trucks. See the fire dancers. <laughs> but they move locations, so it's going to be actually on Dickinson Avenue this time, <laughs> instead of like adjacent to Dickinson Avenue. Oh, they move locations? Mm-hmm. I didn't even see that. Yeah, so it's now going to be on Dickinson Avenue, like kind of across from where the library is, mm-hmm. uh, like on that stretch of road that kind of winds between that Five Points parking lot, I think. Uh, okay. So they're going to kind of block that area off and have that, that road there. Oh, cool. So, yeah, yeah, so that'd be nice. Should be easier for like parking and stuff too, hopefully. But yeah, and then we mentioned the last podcast too. But Brugaloo is coming up uh, in April, and you volunteered for that weekend, right? Yeah. So the two day festival again starts on Friday the twenty first. They've got the block party that night, and then Saturday is the all day affair. It's a uh, like sampling. I think it starts at twelve and goes until maybe like ten p.m. Um, yeah, check out Brugaloo. We're going to volunteer for the 8 to 12 shift. Jen and I are going to do some setup. Yeah. And then... Uh, I still don't know if I can tickets. make it. We'll see, though. Yeah, you should. There's still lots of spots available. If you're listening and you're 
in the Raleigh area or can get there. Um, they still need lots of volunteers and you get some free merch. I think you get a t-shirt, some drink tickets to sample after your shift. And then <laughs> I like it's half off clarify of the, yeah. after your shift. Can't be like carrying a keg and then be like, right. Can I just have a little bit of that. You know what you do is you just uh, sign up for the, uh, the, the bucket cleaner like when they dump out the, the oh yeah the, the gray water guy and yeah just, just drink those and <laughs> yeah it's just a slightly backwash beer <laughs> mm. mixed with lots of water and other oh so it's hydrating yeah and immune fortifying sounds like <laughs> yeah, i think you could live through any disease after that you'd probably get like super covid <laughs> super COVID. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah that's coming up here in a little over a month so yeah um yeah you should sign up cool beans yeah uh, so, you know, this beer we've got, I can't remember how much it cost. I don't think it was very expensive. Considering you can't remember where it was purchased, I'm not quite sure you would remember how much it cost. Lauren, I was trying to do a segue. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just was very, trying to segue. I was just, very literal. I just was trying to bridge the gap from conversations. Uh, sorry. You know, like. Sorry I messed up your transition. We're, we're talking about price and beer. Oh yeah, pricing. Yeah, pricing of beer. Um, but but anyway, yeah, this beer, the the cost of it, you know, was uh, you know, not 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 crazy, but you know, we have seen beer prices, you know, kind of yeah. increasing and uh, some parallels to inflation, but then some other factors within the market and it's just some curious things. You know, I saw an article posted by I kind of got an idea for the, the topic of this was an article from Brewbound that said, you know, the headline was, you know, try not to get into the beer, you know, price lowering wars or whatever. But I couldn't read the article because I don't pay for Brewbound. <laughs> uh, but then that got my mind thinking, you know, you know, price of beer has gone up a little bit. And we talked in our last episode mm-hmm. about big beer buying some companies and maybe influencing some pricing on that aspect. But we just wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, the the inflation that's been seen in the in the craft beer market, which generally is slightly untouched and sales are not mitigated from those changes. Uh, but now we actually might be seeing a trend in the other way for that. So increasing prices and, and decreased demand. So I don't know. Do you, do you guys find any in- interesting info on this? Yeah. I mean, there was like a really interesting point about like the consumer and their, like reaction to the inflation and, and rising prices is, you know, particularly with craft beer and, you know, there's, there's some trends that maybe are not surprising, but some that, that were a little bit shocking, you know, notably I, I found a lot of things that resonated with me personally as a consumer of craft beer. Like once you kind of get into that area, you're not really going to make a lot of sacrifices for the product you're buying, like in quality. And so when inflation comes around, and the price of that product you enjoy has gone up. If 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 you're budget conscious, you might just start to make uh, decisions based on like the quantity of what you're purchasing versus taking a decrease in, qual- in quality to be able to maintain the same level of quantity purchase. Yeah. And so that's a, a big trend they notice is in kind of like the the niche market or like demographic of like like financially anyway of consumers who like craft beer that like above average income demographic the consumers are not necessarily buying cheaper products or products that they don't enjoy as much in an effort to you know get the same quantity they're actually just buying less of the same beer that they like you know if there's a certain brand or company or brewery that they like they're still buying it but they're just buying it in less frequency or less quantity. And so yeah. it's, um, they're not, they're, they're making the sacrifice that way to be able to stay kind of like on top of their budgets and mm-hmm. finances and not, you know, spend an arm and a leg, but still enjoy what they're drinking. Yeah. Um, and that was, there's a great article, uh, by, um, geez, what's the, Oh, good beer hunting. Good beer hunting. Gosh, yeah. I wanted to do like wander with beers. I yeah. don't know why, but yeah, good beer hunting had a great article on this, uh, and one of the points, it was a quote from someone, but they were talking about the, the the product selection within the space. You know, usually we have a lot of flexibility as consumers within craft beer to say, well, I'm not going to buy this IPA. I'm going to buy, you know, this other brand IPA. Right. And you're not sacrificing a ton in quality per se. 
I mean, unless the brewery is just not good or something. Right. But if you're buying like cheap macro loggers or, or something, you could be like, oh, yeah, I'm a, uh, you know, Bud Light drinker or, you know, I, I buy this. You can always kind of downgrade relatively easily without sacrificing a ton in quality. You know, if I'm right. okay, I'm going to go from uh, Bud Light to Keystone, like, I wouldn't consider like Bud Light exponentially greater than Keystone <laughs> or something right. like that. But you, and you know, you've really got that. And I don't know. It's just like a different mentality. I think, you know, craft beer is it's like a kind of like a luxury product per se. And yeah, it, it, it comes at like a premium price, but it's because it's, you know, premium ingredients and premium quality. Yeah. And craftsmanship goes into it really. So, and it's not like you're, I mean, I mean, so I'm sure some people do, but not most people aren't be going out and like trying to find craft beer just to get like hammered, where, <laughs> where they're like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I need the most quantity for the the cheapest price, and that's where you're picking up like a thirty rack of whatever ice or something. Yeah, I think that depends on what stage of life you're in. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, because you know, living in Greenville in our college town. <laughs> I think they would go for uh, quantity over quality. Yeah. And that was another point that I saw. It was like people are going for cheaper, higher ABV uh, mm-hmm. object or objects, gosh, you know, options. So maybe they'll pick up some malt liquor. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, like what you were saying, it was a, a part of this good beer hunting uh, article really that was kind of a profound statement was talking about um, you know, you're going into like the difference between craft beer and sort of like the, uh, the light loggers or the, you know, the cheap beer of the world, your bush lights, your natty lights, there's sort of not an infinite, but there's a larger like scale where you continue to like go down in price for those like macro brews, those Corona's and natty lights. Like you said, you can continue kind of getting cheaper and cheaper, get a similar product, but just you take a few bucks off and you're going to get less quality, but it's similar enough where you're not, you know, the, the drop off is not as steep, but in craft beer, there is sort of like a, a shortened scale for like how far down you can kind of bring it down while you know reducing the price. But at some point you're going to reach like ground zero. You're not going to find craft beer at, you know, any price point lower than a, you know, that, that threshold. And it's still going to be a little bit more than these, you know, macro brews. So they're just not the same like process as you can get from going from like, Oh, today I'm feeling fancy. I'm going to go buy a, a case of uh you know, but heavy versus, <laughs> Oh, I'm a little bit, money's a little tight. I'm going to get some steel reserve this weekend and, <laughs> yeah. and make do. Um, um, you can't like scale down super far, but like you said, there's like, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of emphasis on like premium product on the shelves. And so uh, when macro brews are buying out, like we talked about last last episode, you know, buying out these uh, and acquiring these craft breweries, they're able to put the product on the shelves at a lower price. And so it's a similar like product as far as quality, but they're able to offer it at the lower price. And so the independent craft breweries are suffering because they can't really compete from price component without not hitting their bottom line and, and uh, kind of, you know, they have to make a profit somewhere. So, like, thinking about, um, you know, as costs are rising and, well, I think about, like, Harris Teeter or Wegmans, they have a pretty decent selection of, like, craft brews. Um, As the prices of those craft beers increase, um, do you think that overall consumers are going to be purchasing less of those products? So, what if we get to a point where... They're not purchasing those craft products at all. Then I guess the end store has to make the decision. Do we continue to stock these beers on the shelf because they're not bringing in the revenue and we're having to restock those or like keep the stock, but Mm -hmm. not selling it versus our Bud Lights will still remain relatively inexpensive. Right. And those are maybe the beers that are selling. Yeah. I think that's a great point because Eventually it is. I mean, the retailers are going to sell what makes money. So right. if it doesn't, that's probably why in most grocery stores you don't see a huge selection of beer because it just doesn't move, you know. 
most people aren't going up and picking a gallon of milk and then perusing for craft beer. I mean, some people might, like we do every once in a while while we're there, just to see what they got. But I think you'll see more and more uh, progression of that illusion of craft beer, you know, where maybe you've got a Goose Island or you've got uh, Lagunitas or something that, you know, was craft beer and was independent beer but now it's controlled and owned by the macro brewers who have that distribution network who have the contracts with the aluminum cans and who have Mm -hmm. the big malt bill contracts and and so they can have a little bit more flexibility to edge out the the competition and price i think that was you know a little bit to nick's point previously they have the ability to sort of modify and, and set the price point as to what a you know craft beer should cost at least in like the average consumer's eye right they're like how come i can get this uh lagunitas ipa or goose island ipa for 9.99 for a whatever pack like i'm just making up prices but you know my local brewery has an ipa that's similar in taste in my eyes uh and that's 12.99 or 13.99 right so it it just, I don't know, it, I think it sort of dilutes that craft beer, local beer experience for the average person just going and buying stuff. And then eventually you may see uh, craft breweries having an even harder time getting shelves, shelf space on, on the store mm-hmm. store aisles. But. I still view, too, um, I'm not drinking beer right now, but... Um, is it worth the calories? So I <laughs> am not going to drink something just because it's cheaper. And so like the whole sentiment of about kind of just regulating how much beer I'm drinking, I still want to drink something that tastes good and I enjoy not just drink a beer for the sake of it being a beer. Yeah. And I think that's also where you talked about the stage of life thing, you know, you think about craft beer nerds like us. You know, you're talking about people in their 30s or or getting a little bit older. They're not necessarily the college kids, you know, because I'll say when I was in college, it was like, let's go buy a 30 pack of Keystone because it's cheap and we can get 30 of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then now it's like, uh, I'd rather not waste the calories and waste the money on that. Right. Because it's not like we're playing beer pong with this uh, epic barrel aged, uh, you know, Belgian style ale. Right. <laughs> We're actually playing flip cup. <laughs> you weren't supposed to tell them that. We're I'm actually sorry, doing power know. hours. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually I done mean... a power hour every single episode. <laughs> yeah. We just didn't know. Little that. did you know. Yeah, I I don't know. It's I kind of start to see a little more of like a distinction or a, I don't say divide because that seems negative, but in craft beer consumers where you know you, you definitely encounter more people that they're just they're they're okay with sort of the I don't know I don't know what you call them like a macro craft brewery essentially like the ones owned that are not no longer independent like a Lagunitas like I said you can probably get a six pack of little something something ale at the grocery store for ten bucks eleven bucks maybe maybe with inflation has gone up a little bit but um, when when you factor that in like okay I can get six these they pale ales at a at a grocery store for like 11 bucks or i can go to my local brewery and get two draft pours for 14 dollars because now it's seven dollars a pint mm-hmm. roughly i mean you're gonna have people that say well i'm just not gonna go to the craft brewery because it's the same thing it's the same product i just like the taste of this style of beer i'm gonna get the cheapest option then you've got other consumers where it's like hey i want to be more local. I want to support independent craft breweries. I'm okay with that price increase. I just need to maybe reflect on how often I'm going to these places um, and, you know, put in like your own budget constraints into that equation. But there's just becoming more, I think of like a noticeable um, distinction between those different like craft beer consumers. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it kind of was like, you know, just one, you know, I like craft beer. So I just drink pale ales and it was more of like the styles you drink versus like the brand and whether or not they were independent and whether or not um, they were local, I guess. Yeah. I think it's, it's almost, it's reducing the market share more. Uh, Cause you, you know, you think about somebody who's not hugely in, into to craft beer. 
Uh, maybe they're making the step and they want to buy, you know, something that's got more flavor or something that's a little bit different. You know, they probably would be more willing as a consumer to reach out and try a different product if it was similarly priced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's, you know, ex- exorbitantly higher and they're not sure if they're going to like it, they're probably going to go towards the cheaper product. So again, like you said, you're you're now targeting that niche population that's like drink local or, you know, wants the nuanced flavor of this this style beer and that, or, you know, they, they love this brewery and they want to get that beer. It's really just dwindling down that market share. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just crazy. Uh, and I think it's just going to continue to hurt like small independent breweries because of some of the reasons that this inflation is going on. So we didn't really talk about that aspect yet, but there's kind of a lot of pieces that go into the puzzle of pricing beer. And there was a great article that Nick sent from untapped that kind of actually it's, it's aimed at brewers to figure out how to price their beer, whether it's draft or bottles or it's offsite consumption. Uh, But there's a lot of pieces that go into it. So yeah, I mean, there's obviously going to be a rising cost for for labor anytime that the economy is maybe at a low or, or you know trends are heading that way. Like you've got to pay for the people that are going to be there on site to pour your beer or to package your beer, um, distribute your beer. So those costs of labor are always going to be dependent on the market. And we talked a little bit about the price of just the the goods you need to to package and to ship your beer, like your aluminum cans, uh, cardboard, distributors, warehouses, freight charges. Yeah. Freight charges. And then, you know, most recently we talked a little bit about uh, COT shortages. So the cost of CO2 was uh, kind of at a premium for a while. And so that kind of fluctuates based on availability, based on the market, based on inflation. And so, it, and it's difficult because I think... Paul Philip and I talked about this a little bit. You can't really change the price of your product that frequently to kind of match all of those ebbs and flows. And so you kind of have to be really meticulous about how you're, you know, putting out your the price of your product. And I think it's less of an issue, I think, when you're working with distribution because you kind of have, you know, here's the price we're getting from the distributor. They're making their cut on selling mm-hmm. it to the the wholesalers or the the retail market, but um, like on-site consumption, like there's a whole thing on that untapped article about how to price for like draft beer and things like that. That's where I think, you know, you might see a little more variability, but at least locally here, I don't think I've seen a ton of huge fluctuation in like a cost of a pint of beer to pour like a tap room. But um, there's definitely a lot that goes into that, including um, like in that case, you're, you're cutting out some of those factors. And so you can kind of reduce the, the need to kind of, I guess, increase your product accordingly because you're cutting out a, the cost of packaging and shipping it. And, you know, you're really left by that point with just the labor costs and the cost of the materials to brew the beer, uh, you know, your ingredients for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, ingredients is a huge one. I guess we didn't matter. We didn't really talk about, but, uh, yeah, I mean like sometimes hops are at a really big premium and, you know, CO2 shortages can contribute a lot to that. So, especially when you're talking like a premium product, you're, you're going after good ingredients. You're not going to like cut corners and get, um, cheaper <laughs> options. So, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you said you haven't seen too much in the, in the price flux. I feel like the place I have seen it are like the beer bars yeah. because they're, you know, that's a, a completely different model in absorbing costs or whatever, you know, the brew on or the untapped article talks about, uh, you know, having a if you're a brewery making a draft beer, you want to aim for that cost of that beer poured to the customer being about twenty percent. You know, yeah. like what of what you're selling it for. So there's a lot of room for sort of flexing that. I mean, if you're yeah. talking like a three percent price increase on every beer you sell or a three percent loss, like that's a big change in your income. But overall, you can sort of absorb it a little bit better than someone who's retailing beer that charges a 30% markup on everything, right? You're you're talking about 30% markup versus 80% when that 20% cost. So you got a little bit less room, so they're probably more likely to increase the prices as that inflation goes up. And I feel like I have noticed a little bit more expense on some of that side where you're, you know, maybe getting a draft beer from a place that doesn't make their own beer, but nothing that's like, oh, I'm never going out and, and getting a beer again. 
Yeah. I am. <laughs> I'm never drinking beer again. I know. Lauren's got me in a pretty strict beer budget here. I was about to say, I'm not increasing your beer budget with this she inflation. Hasn't. If anything, she's decreased it. Well, I'm just saying, you should be more mindful. <laughs> <laughs> she's just trying to be conscientious. Yeah, that's a good point, though. Like, the, the noticeable changes, uh, one place came to mind was, you know, one of our favorite local places for food and beer. You know, they're, they're selling beer, like, cans or bottles that, you know, they're, as a retailer, uh, they're getting from a dist- distributor. So there, there comes that added cost of, um, you know, hey, the cost for us to buy this now from the distributor has gone up, and so we need to, like, you pass know, it on. make yeah. our margin. So they're, they're passing, and it's not really a malicious thing. It's just they're kind of going along with, you know, the, the trend of inflation and the cost of the uh, the product they're buying. And that's where you kind of see it more, like, you know, going out to dinner, and it's like, okay, I'm going to get a, a burger or, like, a grilled sandwich, and then the beer is, like, starting at, like, 7 or 7.50 for a can. And sometimes those are like twelve ounce cans, and it's yeah. like it's really not sustainable to to be able to afford a beer at that price. Um, well, it's hard to justify as a consumer too, because yeah. you're like, I'm buying a you know sandwich for ten bucks, and then I'm buying a beer for <laughs> eight bucks. You know, it's like yeah, one dang. beer. That's right. So like, just be mindful. If you get another beer, I'm gonna get another sandwich. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Eating for that two. Yeah. I'm eating for two. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, and that's where you feel it, and it's like, ugh, well, you don't yeah. want to do that. But then, like, you know, a local brewery, you know, they've got a little more wiggle room because they are not distributing, you know, a very, like, a microbrewery. Like, right. we're just doing drafts. Like, yeah, maybe our price of malt and hops have gone up. Uh, it's going to impact us a little bit, but they can get away, I think, with a little bit yeah. more. But then the problem comes again with that expansion, and then those really small breweries, they're a lot more susceptible to the change in some of those ingredients you know if you're a microbrewery that does draft only in their tap room you don't have the cost of shipping you don't have the cost of uh aluminum cans for packaging Uh, i mean maybe with crowlers but those are not making a huge portion of your sales uh and then all you're working on is you know labor which with inflation wages should go up, you know, as mm-hmm. uh, since they have to make a living to pay for things. So you're paying more for your labor than you're paying more for ingredients. So there's not as many factors contributing to it. Yeah. Do you think we'll reach a plateau? Where, With inflation? Yeah. And then will they come back down, though? Eventually, uh, we'll have to plateau. But will we know. just stay? Who knows? That was interesting, though, because that, uh, that Good Beer Hunting article, they kind of start off by talking about where this kind of all, I don't want to say started from, but like re- the recent trend of inflation for beer prices. Uh, and it kind of, they start kind of looking at the pandemic, the beginning, the beginning mm-hmm. of the pandemic in 2020. And there was kind of, you know, a, a, a big fluctuation during that period. But even into like late 2022, uh, actually early 2022 into the end of 2022, there was a noticeable like, trend of prices increasing but then they kind of did like plateau and decrease a little bit and then they shot back up at the end of 2022 and so i i find that it's probably not easy to predict that it's going to like plateau anytime soon uh i i think it's more than likely not going to continue to spike in the way that it has but the spike two years like after covid was interesting because i, I could see that happening during the pandemic when there was like a scarcity of product and like materials for distribution for mm-hmm. uh, the ingredients for the beer. Um, also, there's other factors with, you know, reduced labor because, you know, a lot of times yeah. a lot of businesses were closed during the pandemic. And so uh, th- that was a total anomaly situation where I don't think you can use that trend as like a, an aggregate source of information because it's not going to translate into other years. But like 2022, things kind of, reopened in a more general sense and so i was surprised that those inflationary trends were like spiking last year versus kind of like like lauren said like plateauing maybe or kind mm-hmm. of like not increasing at such a drastic rate where it looks like you know i mean there's some stats on that yeah uh, that article where they talk about the increases and it's like some of them are like eight to ten percent in some areas for like cost of goods um 
for like the you know price of the the product you're buying at the the store, whether that's the the retail shop, your bottle shop, or like at the uh, the grocery store. Um, and so I think that's striking that even like a, a year or so removed from like the biggest point of the pandemic, like those prices are continuing to spike. So that is a bit alarming, a bit concerning, but I think we'll see a point where it kind of like mellows out. We don't see spikes as much as we see just like a general trend, which it's always going to increase. I mean, after well, time, I mean, yeah, over time, there's just a general cost, you know, a steady rise of inflation, but we've seen huge spikes and, you know, incongruent to, to what it is, you know, we, there's always like, this is inflation is X percent, but then as a consumer, I feel like we always feel it more heavily than the percent that they're waiting and and the goods that we're buying. I don't know. I feel like the beer supply chain though has been so complex over the past few years. Cause you're, you know, like you were saying during the pandemic, you had a lot of like manufacturing losses, right? Like we're not, we don't have the workforce making the cans. We don't have the workforce making this. Uh, but then when that was resolved, now we're in sort of a malt in a, a barley shortage you know, we talked about the CO2 shortage as well. Like, right. and part of it being beer being a, a, you know, an agricultural product or a product that's reliant on hops and barley. Like if we have a bad barley growing season, which we did last year, that's going to impact the price of malt as well. So you've got like inflation plus shortages. Uh, so it just, you know, supply and demand and <laughs> we're just in trouble. So I wonder if that's partly uh, due to that big spike there or, or, you know, why we're seeing that, but just a lot of factors. Yeah. Well, and, and this is interesting. It kind of goes back to that article, uh, talking about the trends and the, the, the kind of ebbing and flowing. Um, and so the good beer hunting article, they talked about how breweries, especially like the smaller breweries had basically, as far as they had like, uh, observed, they had done, largely the most they could do as far as like absorbing the cost, the added cost increases of um, labor costs, like shortages causing the, the ingredients to go up. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a really important note that was kind of a, I guess one of my final notes on this beer price discussion is um, I, I don't think there's any malintent by independent breweries or craft breweries because they've got a, you know, have a mark, a profit margin. They've got to put food on the table and they're paying all their employees. And so, um, an interesting point that was brought up in this good beer hunting article by Peter Licht from the, uh, independent brewers Alliance, which is a co-op purchasing group. They, uh, they actually help breweries get good prices. And so they're a good network for independent craft breweries. Um, he mentioned that, you know, essentially, and I think this kind of goes into the pandemic period of time, breweries were absorbing a lot of the added costs, um, absorbing like higher labor costs. And this is kind of, I think up to leading up to like last year, they were, um, you know, fronting the bill for all of those added costs of goods, of labor, of distribution. And they're kind of at a breaking point where they're no longer able to do that without that cutting into their profit margin. And so, that's why maybe there's this like more recent spike in the cost of craft beer. Um, it could be attributed to that. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, we, we should be cognizant that, you know, breweries aren't trying to just like up the price to, you know, they afford another car or like, you know, buy a beach house somewhere. I mean, kudos to them if they can do that, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're care- a lot of them are carefully studying the market. You know, they're taking into account, you know, the scarcity of, of materials, the, the, the price of goods, the cost of labor, uh, a lot of factors, you know, that untapped article really shares a lot of insight as to the plethora of, you know, factors that go into pricing a product like craft beer. And so, you know, the increase is only going to be sort of linear with the trajectory of inflation and other factors that are that are outside of their control. And so, as a consumer of craft beer, we kind of just have to, you know, make that decision whether we're going to cut it out entirely, look for cheaper options, reduce what we're intaking, um, or just kind of, you know, find some happy medium in there somewhere. 
Yeah. Let's just keep buying beer. Let's just buy yeah. it till we're broke. Yeah, I'm, I'm no. not going to stop buying beer, but... <laughs> this <laughs> is why I do the budgeting. I'm, wow. I, I, when, I'm, when, I, when I'm at Jarvis Street, I may look at the uh, like 4 or $5 shelves now and just oh, see if yeah. there's anything there versus the 6 $7 yeah. shelves. Occasionally, I will you know, I'll splurge or buy a bottle like an $18 bottle of beer. It's like, this is a treat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's hard to justify buying like a $22 four-pack of beer. Yeah, that is tough. And it's like, unless you're like, yes, this is going to be stellar, amazing product, It's it does get a little hard to digest as a consumer. You know, you're like, 22 bucks for four yeah. beers? You know, the other thing too, though, is I think I'm at, at a disadvantage and maybe you guys are on the same boat, like, I'm constantly trying to find new beers and try new things. And so I'm buying a lot of like one-off beers. And I think that's not really cost-effective either. You can get a much better deal buying like a six-pack or a four-pack. Oh, yeah. I mean, because so. that costs the business more to sell singles. Because if you break a four-pack, then they yeah. got three singles now they have to sell. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of feel like a jerk when I do that. But at the same time, I'm like, it says the, the price of a single, and I just want to try one. Yeah. <laughs> You're paying for the convenience of being able to try more. Yeah. So Sorry, Lars, for all those singles I'm making. <laughs> he gets it. I'm sure he's, he understands. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, good topic. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds uh, yeah. in reality here as, as we go along. You know, how will the price of beer end up? You know, where will we be, and will the market share continue to decline as it kind of has and just alcohol sales in general or will we see an uptick and then maybe a little reversal of this who knows lots to think about yeah but one thing i do know is that lc has a pick of the week lc's pick of the week it's actually a mountain dew can in there (laughs) now lc has i know i can see some green we do see some green on this can so it's obviously got to be a rolling rock Oh. Clearly. Clearly it's a rolling rock. <laughs> I haven't had rolling rock since the last time I went to the Buck. <laughs> the Buccaneer. Ooh. The old Buccaneer. Greenville's finest country saloon. I don't know what you call it. Music hall. I music think they hall. call it a music hall. Yeah. I haven't been there in forever. Mm-mm, me either. Hopefully it's not a rolling rock, but... uh. Ooh, Ooh what a crack. We'll find out. Assume the position. Find out next time on LC's <laughs> Pick of the Week. Kai. <laughs> or LC's Pick Super. <laughs> will, will it ever go Super Saiyan? Wow. Oh, geez. LC really foamed me on that one. And I went to sniff it and I just got a, a nose full of tropical smells and a wet. Oh, my. Wet yeah. nose. The, uh,. The nose is bringing up a lot of, yeah, like, tropical fruit, some, like, melon. Melon, for sure, yeah. Really juicy. Maybe a little bit of pineapple in there. Um, Is pineapple a melon? I don't think so. Is it a citrus? What is a pineapple? What is a pineapple? What even is a a pineapple? Yeah, but what kind of fruit is it? To what genus or family of fruit pineapple belongs? Yeah, very, like, strong hop aroma. Uh, on this, you know, just like like the, all the flavors, smells we've been describing. I'm going to go ahead and give her a taste. Pineapple is a type of composite fruit, which means it has developed from many ovaries and other floral parts. <laughs> Pineapple is a from type what? of cirrhosis <laughs> fruit that is developed as cat- <laughs> catkin spikes or spadex type inflorescence. What did you just even, did you this just speak Google. English? Interesting. What in the world did you just read? So the beer is more bitter in flavor, I will say. I'm going to take a peek at it. Ooh, it's clear. I expected a little more haze. Yeah, me too, just based off the aroma. But the flavor does kind of give that. But this is crystal clear. It's actually a really nice looking beer, I will say. It's like a straw goldish color. Maybe a little darker, but... It looks like if you were just to take a quick glance at it, you'd probably be like, oh, that's a, a light lager. Oh, yeah. And the head's got a lot of integrity. It's leaving a little bit of lace on the inside of the taster glass here, but um, hasn't really dissipated at all. It's still pretty prominent. Nice balance, bitterness, not too much. Um, yeah, I get I get a little bit of like 
resin as I'm like, yeah, I sip down half of this glass. So I have a little more nose room now, I think, and I can get some, some resin is hopping there too, yeah. but it, it still is like mixed in with this medley of like some kind of juicy melon, mm-hmm. um, pineapple notes too. I'm getting strong, like West coast American IPA vibes. Uh, but less piney there is some resin there and i think more resin in the flavor than there is in the nose but uh loads of american hops um definitely melon good bitter balance nothing too much nothing too little uh you know not a huge malt body but i think it's i think it's overall pretty well balanced uh but i'm gonna have to say yeah either an american ipa or a west coast ipa Mm. i'm gonna guess the abv too i'm gonna say it's around 7.4 percent Let's see. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's like six point five percent. Okay. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not getting. I'm not guessing it's too high on the ABV, but um, tell us, Elsie. Put dash my hopes and dreams. You're wrong. She's like it's actually an imperial stout <laughs> with marshmallows and toasted coconut. Yes. We're wrong. This is. No, it is a West Coast IPA. So Ooh. then we're not wrong. Um, but you were wrong with the ABV. Nick was fairly close. Oh, really? It's lower? Yes. So, I guess I'm in the double IPA kind of This is ABV. 3C West Coast IPA, brewed and packaged by Triple C Brewing Company Triple C. in Triple Charlotte. C. The ABV is 6.2. Oh, nice call, mm. Nick. I was um, off. Yeah. My ABV guessing streak is over. Oh, I think wait. sometimes like the extreme bitterness and like that kind of resiny pine hop makes me think like, oh, this is heavier. It's a little little bit higher on the ABV. But um, anyway, sorry, Elsie, I interrupted you. I can't believe you, Nick. I will no. never do it again. Um, the only thing I was going to add is it's named after the three hops, Citra, Centennial, and Chinook. Um, mm. that give the beer its signature flavor. It sports a big citrus and grapefruit hop flavor with a light malt backbone supported by flaked oh, oats. Oh, citrus and grapefruit. Hmm. Just flaked just, oats, really? You've actually drank this beer before. I have? In 2021. Have I? Um, no. Sweet. You had Sweet. it on draft at um, Basil's. Basil's? With, oh. you, t- you tagged me, so I was With there. you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, we just had some triple C recently. I I remember that. It was when we went with your friends. What year was it? 2021. Remember when we went with your, your peeps? Yeah. We We sat in the bar room. Oh yeah. I think that was that time. Maybe. There's also just looking at triple C brewing company because I couldn't remember what, what the name of this was. I just knew it was triple C. Um, baby maker is another beer. Yeah. Baby maker. Golden bully blonde. Triple C White in Blaze. Charlotte, right? Have we you just, been there? Triple C, n- no, that's like one of the Charlotte breweries I haven't been to. Mm. Um, but we just had a, a Triple C lager. We were disc golfing the other weekend, and uh, yes, we did beer. We picked up from Tapped a uh, B- yeah, beer. B-I-E-R. It's a German, German Pilsner. German Pilsner. That was pretty good. I like oh, that. It's tasty, boy. So you know, Triple C. Trying to get, trying to get back in Triple C. I feel like. I had a uh, baby maker. I had some other uh, other notable IPAs when I first moved to North Carolina, but I haven't really. Yeah, Triple C is not one I've explored really a ton lately. Uh, good beer though, solid all around, and very enjoyable. And what I really I give like it this that can. It's like a really simple four two five. It's really a simple aesthetic can. It's just like green. Yeah, yeah. just very green. Good beer for St. Patrick's Day coming up Friday. Oh, oh my the- gosh. Wow, you're really consistent. You gave it a 4.25. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's Did hilarious. You look that up? No, I didn't look it up. <laughs> I had my phone. Well, it's one of my favorite games is to like guess my rating on Untapped. Like, guess my rating. What did you give it? Oh, one thing I also forgot to shout out. I saw today, oh, well, one, Greenville, North Carolina now has a, a semi, well, not now has, but it's a. It's a national semi-pro soccer league. Yeah, Greenville, Greenville United Football Club. You know and they just announced today, season tickets are on sale. Let's get them. I'm really tempted. Oh, I have to say one final note about Triple C, though. I forgot that Triple C is, unfortunately, the recipient of my lowest untapped rating, I think. Oh, no. I gave... It had smoked beer. I had it years ago. I gave it a 1.75. 
Oh. It just was not good. It was too smoky. But okay. otherwise, I I really enjoyed um, all the other beers. They've got the I think it's Rainbow Sherbert. I think is a uh, oh yeah a Berliner Weiss from there. So Triple C overall very solid. This West Coast is very solid. Um, yeah, this one's pretty good. The Oktoberfest very good if I recall. I had that in 2020. Let's see what my lowest rated beer was. Oof. Uh, <laughs> mine was actually a Founders beer. Uh, Mas Agave Classica Lime. I gave that a 1.5. May 9th, 2021. I wonder Ouch. if it was a bad version or something, but I gave it a very bad rating. Because uh, globally, it's about a 4. Uh, <laughs> so it goes, that beer, Bush Light, <laughs> Bud Light, Pacifico, I gave a 2, Mick Ultra, a 2. Ooh. How did you um filter these oh, by rating? Yeah, sort Remember. by rating. Do you select all? Ooh. My lowest beer, I gave a 0. 0.52. Let's see what that was. Wow. <laughs> Can you say it on air? <laughs> it was a local beer. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, I think I know what it is. Let me see what my friends gave it. In my home brew. <laughs> Joe, you Joe's gave it a 3. Black IPA. Nick gave it a 3.75. Jen gave it a four. What beer is this? What was it? Let me see. The one um, you can't say? It's been a while. Wow, well, Jen, actually, we're questioning your taste. Yeah. Let me see your screen. Knew it. Yeah, because I remember we discussed that. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, well. Noted. Dang. Well, anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, then. Uh, on that note, uh, thanks for tuning in to episode 52. Make sure that you check out our website, eastcarolinabeer.com. Hit us up on socials, Instagram at East Carolina Beer, Twitter at East Beer, Facebook, East Carolina Beer and Brewing. If you want to send us an email, we are at eastcarolinabeer at gmail.com. If you want to send us some beer, some homebrew, something for us to try on the podcast, we'd love that. We'd love that interaction. So just reach out, uh, hit us up, and make sure you rate the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you in episode number 53. Cheers. 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 Cheers.